0: There are some people in the Christian camp who say, because we're not saved by the law, let's completely throw it out. But is that a proper biblical way of looking at the law? Well, that's what we're going to be discussing on today's podcast. So turn to Galatians chapter 3 and let's get into it. Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So glad to be with you guys as always. It's such a privilege and a blessing to every week to be able to produce this podcast so that you and I can sit together wherever you're at and study God's word, and I just pray that the time that we have together has been such a tremendous blessing to you guys, and so we're going to continue our study here in Galatians chapter three, and before we do that, it's always a great reminder to let you guys know that when we spend time in God's word, I just ask that you guys just, you know, pray to the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to give you revelation, ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your understanding so that when we're learning, cause today is going to be a tricky one today. Let me be honest. is going to be a tricky one. If you, if you're with me in last podcast, when we were finishing in verses, um, uh, what was it? It was, uh, 15 through 18. Yeah. In Galatians three, 15 through 18. When we're talking about the need of faith and we're talking about the law, it could be a bit confusing. And, and so one of the things I just want to be clearer is to bring clarity to this situation for you guys. That's, that's my hope and prayer. As we look at this passage here now in Galatians chapter 3, 19 through 25, and we talk about the purpose of the law, that this will make sense for you guys. Because like I said in the opening, there's a camp of Christians who believe, well, we're not saved by the law, so toss it out. It doesn't mean anything to us anymore. That's actually not a proper way of looking at the law. On the other hand, you don't go to the other extreme and be like, um, I could do whatever I want. And, and because I'm saved by grace, you know, God will forgive me. That itself is not a proper way of, of looking at the law as well. So we need to strike the balance. And so hopefully we'll be able to do that. Now, as we're going, as we're going into this, I, I've been reading ahead for quite some time now. I've been studying the book of Galatians for well over, you know, six, seven, eight months now. And I just want to say, I love Paul's tone. I love his approach. And it's just so amazing about how he just related to the Galatians and was relentless to win them back because he had that love for them. And when we get into Galatians 4, we see the specifics of that. We see how he openly expresses his heartfelt love for them and even recognizing their willingness to help him through difficulty and it made me wonder you guys and this is just food for thought as we get into this passage today look around at your christian leaders the people you look up to or that you should be looking up to okay maybe this is a pastor you know the church that you attend how many of them do you know and how many of them do you feel really love you i'm not saying oh you gave it you did you shook a pastor's hand or had him over for a meal one time and that was two three years ago i'm saying look at paul look at the way that he relates to the Galatians and say, do my spiritual leaders love me this way? And don't say, oh, that was Paul. That was back in the day he was an apostle. No, I'm serious, you guys. We need to take Paul's example of how he did ministry and we need to hold our spiritual leaders to the test. We need to hold them to that standard. Because when we don't, we then begin to compromise or we, as we compromise, we are not going to be holding to a higher standard and therefore they, it could not only the ministry become mediocre, uh, but the leaders can compromise because one thing I found in the ministry is that when the audience are biblically illiterate, the spiritual leaders will have a Likelihood, that is. A likelihood of abusing their congregation, having misappropriated funds, fraudulent behavior, sexual abuse. I mean, just to name a few. Heretical teaching, obviously. Throw that in there. And so, guys, I say that because as as he's challenging them about the law because there's confusion, you know, Paul had to be very delicate. And so he comes winsomely, uh, philosophically, theologically, but also in a sense in a very expressive and friendly manner. And that's huge. So let's not overlook that. Now let's transition to now 19 through 25 because I need to get off that topic because I'll just sit here the whole podcast talking about, you know, how pastors are to be leading their congregation. So let me just digress from that, which I tend to do. If you've been following me a, a while on this podcast, I can tend to ramble on some of these things. And, and, and so I do apologize at times. I know sometimes it can be good, good fun and a good conversation, but let's just focus on the passage here about the law. So if you notice here in verse 19, if you have a Bible, if you don't, let me read it to you. Paul poses this question, why then the law? Thinking that's an interesting question. And really you guys in verse 19 it, he does take a, a a a hard left from what he just was previously talking about, still connected, but he has to bring some clarification, and that's really what nineteen through twenty five is. And that's why I was telling you guys, I want to bring some clarification to this issue about the law and strike a a, a really prop a proper biblical balance to it, because that's what Paul's going to try to convey. Now, in order also to, you know, understand why he's posing the question when he does, if you go back just in verse 17, he says, this is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. And he says, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Okay, so a couple of things real quickly. Paul, what he's saying to the Galatians, he's saying, look, you're not saved by the law. That does not mean that we abolish the law that the law doesn't mean anything to us whatsoever because that's tossing out scripture. And there's different forms of us being under the law in the new covenant under grace, if you will, like the, the the two greatest laws to be summed up in loving God and loving man. So that's what Paul's saying. Now they're turning back to Judaism, many Galatians, but also a lot of them came out of paganism and got saved, but then they're told, but no, you you, you only know half of it. Like Paul's telling you only half of it. And you need to be doing this: circumcision, following the law, etc. So, what Paul wants to do is he he wants to say, "Look, um, I'm not rejecting the law. And at the same time, when I say what he was saying earlier about Abraham, just because Abraham didn't keep the law to keep the covenant with God, doesn't mean the law was pointless, because." God did not make the covenant with Abraham based on him keeping it because it's impossible for Abraham to keep the law because he's sinful. It's impossible. Which is why when you go back to Genesis 15, 12 to 21, you see that God put Abraham in a deep sleep. So this was not a negotiation. God didn't negotiate with Abraham says, hey, look, I'll make a deal with you. Maybe, how about this? I'll, you have a probation period of uh, two seconds, right? And if you blow it within two seconds and you sin, then, you know, there goes the covenant and I'll just go find somebody else or just say, you know, it's pointless because if Abraham can't do it, then no one can. That's not how it worked, right? That's not what went down. We saw that the Abrahamic covenant was, was, was unilateral and irrevocable. God's not going to break it and it's going to come to pass. And it's going to come to pass because we're told in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18, when God made the promise to Abraham, since there is no one greater than God, and whom to swear this covenant with. He swore by himself. He went through that splitted animal to keep the law. So we don't keep the law to keep the covenant. God keeps it. He's the one who upholds it because it's his spoken word. And so this question now, Paul's giving to clarify that. He's not denying the law altogether. And so what we're going to be seeing now in the next few podcasts, is Paul laying out an extensive argument about the purposes of the law. And not only is he going to be laying out an argument about the purposes of the law, but he's also going to be talking about the relation that the law has to the promises of God in verses 19, chapter 3, to chapter 4, verse 11. Now, what's also interesting, what, what Paul's saying that's good about the law, is that it points out our transgressions. The the term here for transgressions is means to rebel, to break the law, to act contrary to the established custom or law. In 1 Timothy, in verse 1, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 8, Paul told Timothy, now we know that the law is good. So that's what Paul's conveying to the Galatians. Yes, it's good because it comes from God. But the law, he says, as he was telling Timothy, if one uses it lawfully, they understand that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murders, etc. right? And he has a whole litmus test. And the reason it doesn't apply to us anymore is because we're saved by grace through faith. We realize as God put Abraham asleep and in his place went through the splitted animal that they cut in half. That was a foreshadowing of Christ taking on our sins on the cross. And Christ said, he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law because the law is good. And, And the reason when we talk about that we're no longer under the law is because Christ paid our penalty. God who is a just God cannot overlook lawbreakers. He can't. That would be an injustice. That would actually be an indictment against him. And that just couldn't be because if, if it could occur that way, then God wouldn't be God because there would be flaws in him. There would be imperfection in him. And by definition, you know, when we look at in terms of theological study of, of God, who he is, God is a perfect being. God cannot sin. God cannot change his mind. God cannot alter his laws and say, oh, let me improve on them. If he's a perfect being who needs no alteration or improvement, we then equate that to his decrees that he puts forth as perfectly done and that are irrevocable. So again, Paul's saying that. He's not contradicting himself. And so when he says that the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made, he's saying that the law was only necessary until the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came to atone for the sins of the world. So yes, the law is good, exposes our sin, and it was temporary at that point in time until Christ came. I love how Charles Rory says it in this, when he's talking about that the law was put in place through the angels, he says here, because let me just read it when, because it, it is, And I'll be honest, confusing as to what Paul is trying to say when he poses this question to then answer it. When he says, why then the law, it was added because of transgressions. Okay, so it was added because of transgressions, because of our sins. It points out our flaws. We saw that earlier in Galatians 3, remember? It was a tutor. But he says, until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. Okay, that's talking about Christ. And then he says, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. like, So what is that? What's he talking about there? Well, let me explain now what Charles Rari says. He says, law was mediated through angels and Moses, whereas the covenant with Abraham was given directly by God. Genesis 15 verse 18. The presence of an intermediary assumes two parties and the need of a mediator show the inferiority of the law. So this is what was important. To what Paul is conveying the presence as Robert says of an intermediary assumes two parties the need of a mediator show the inferiority of the law so again the law was never designed to save us the law just points out flaws but when it points out our flaws what do you do with the flaws and what do you do with the people who feel guilty because they broke the law as lawmakers as, bro- as, as, as lawbreakers breakers as to say Well, that's Christ coming. Christ comes to save us. And what's also interesting when you actually look in Scripture is that you see angels involved. Going back to Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, he talks about he came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. This is when the Lord came from Sinai. And he shone forth from Mount Paran. In Psalm 68 verse 17, the chariots of God are twice, 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Acts 7:53. you have received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Hebrews 2, 2, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable. So the amazing thing is as, as we've received the law by the hand of angels, We are freed from the law by the hands of God through his son, Jesus. That's amazing. So when he says here in verse 20, now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one because of transgressions. Again, confusing language to be true. Let's let's be honest. Even in the English rendering, it's like, Paul, what are you trying to say here? But what's interesting is that what Paul's doing is he, he wants to present to the Galatians Um, another limitation to the law because he pointing he's pointing it out that it's bilateral and what that means is is that the the fact that a mediator whether it be a man or an angel was involved does speak to the limits of the law because remember when god spoke to abraham he spoke directly and he kept the law that's why we have it today or excuse me he kept the covenant he executed law, he, you know, he implemented, if you will, laws, and he made a covenant with Abraham and he kept it. But when we see the law that was given to man, not just directly by God, of course it comes from God, but God directs it, whether it be a, a man or an angel. And, and so he's showing the limitations, just like he talked about in Romans chapter three, verses 19 through 21. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Catch that. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So we're not justified by the law, we're justified by faith, right? He says here, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So Paul's presenting a limitation to the law. So now an intermediary implies more than one. So if you have more than one, there's limitations, bilateral. But he's saying God is one. And then because of transgressions. So this is this is a fascinating way of trying to draw out one, the nature of who God is, that God alone, he ratified the covenant with Abraham and the limitations that we have in and of ourselves and the way in which we receive the law and try to maintain it in history. And God knows that. This isn't God, you know, playing with us. This is God who set out a commandment, don't eat from this tree, and Adam and Eve blew it. And there's consequences of sin. And yet God time and time again comes in, he steps in there, God who is one, he alone can keep all of this. He upholds all of this. All this is for his glory. So there's no negotiation here between man and God. And so he says in verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Because at this point, again, you, they may think that, but he says certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be the law. See, because if if you guys if if through an intermediary that worked that way, then there there could be a level of negotiation, but that's not how it worked. Righteousness is not does not come or is not maintained by keeping the law. The law is not even designed to do such a thing. And so it's not on your efforts or on the merits of man that can create righteousness out of nothing. We are righteous because God is the right one. He is righteousness. He is perfection. So in verse 21, Paul is addressing the false notion that the law is contrary to the promises of uh, of God and therefore evil. No, Paul strongly condemns that rationale. I mean, ask yourself, how can the law be evil if God, who is the perfect lawgiver, instituted the law in the first place? See, that's what I'm saying is that we have to maintain that angle rather than just like, we're not saved by the law, who cares about it? How can the law be evil? How can we just disregard it? We're not saved by it, of course not. But we don't just throw out the Old Testament. It's not evil. God, who's a perfect lawgiver, instituted the law in the first place. The law and the promises of God are not in competition. They are designed by God with different purposes and functions. God gave the law to expose the sin of mankind, not to save people by it. So it wasn't the law, you guys, that, that uh, introduced sin. The law didn't introduce sin. Adam and Eve did. And ever since the Mosaic law was installed, sin has increased due to people transgressing against the commands of God. Paul said earlier, if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Remember he said that in Galatians 2 verse 21? And he will later go on to explain this very thing about the law to the Romans when he, when he would write, now the law came in to increase the trespass by where sin increased grace abound all the more so that as sin reigned in death grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through jesus christ our lord that's romans 5 verse 20 and so in verses 22 through 24 paul will provide three descriptive reasons why the law cannot save or impart life to a person so he's not throwing the law under the bus Verses nineteen and twenty through twenty-one, and now he's going to give reasons why to the to the Galatians. This is striking the balance as to why you're not to turn to the law in order to be saved, because it cannot impart life. He says here, but the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now that word but is is a strong. Adversative conjunction. So, I mean, he's, I mean, coming out strong to expose to the Galatians that you're not saved by the law. And he says here, the word in prison is cleo, means you're not the scripture when he says, but the scripture in prison, everything under sin, meaning confined to enclose on all sides. And it's a reference back to Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 and it's quoted actually in Deuteronomy chapter 27 through 26 where it says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. So the first reason the law cannot save a person is because it confines or condemns people as a result of their sin. And this phrase, promised by faith in Jesus Christ, Paul connects the role of the law to the promises. Jesus, the promised Savior, saves us from the curse of the law. And so Paul bears that message out. If you go to Romans chapter 1, verses 18, all the way to chapter 3, verse 20, he lays it all out. He talks about the curse of the law. He talks about what Christ has done for us and freeing us from that. And he shows that the, the role of the law is connected to the promises that God has given us. And so in verse 23, he says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith, would be revealed. So the second reason the law cannot save us is because it acts as a jailer. The law holds us as prisoners. Nope. There needs to be atoning. And you can't atone it. You can't pay for the penalties of your sin. So why try to go back to fulfill more of it when you broke the laws that you just already broke? To try to pay for justice. It doesn't work that way. That's not how the law says, okay, I'll go fulfill the law in order to be free from breaking the law in the first place. No, you broke the law, you're a lawbreaker, period. It never goes away. And that's why the blood of Christ, that sacrifice, needed to pay for all of it, not just sin and death, but being lawbreakers. And so now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, so we were jailed by the law. Can't get out of it. That's where that guilty conscience, all of that, not just just, uh, how we feel about breaking the law, but for all eternity, justice will prevail. And God doesn't turn a blind eye from any of this. And he shows no favoritism. So he doesn't say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll look past this and past that, past this, past this. It's not just the act of committing sin. We are born in sin. So in our nature, we cannot be restored in and of ourselves to God unless we accept Christ as, his Lord, as, as our Lord and Savior. Verse 24, so then the law was our guardian, pedagogos, it's, it's, it was our tutor, it was our schoolmaster, our custodian, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. And here's the third reason. Third reason why the law cannot save us is because it acts as a temporary disciplinary, disciplinarian. So the first reason we see that the law cannot save us, according to scripture, is that it confines us and it condemns us. You're a lawbreaker. The result of what you did, it's sinful and you're condemned. Second reason, you're in jail as a result of it. Third reason is we need to be disciplined. Because what happens sometimes when you commit a, a, an offense, when you break a law and then you're disciplined as a result of it. So the, 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 the law being our tutor, the Greek term used here by Paul denotes a slave or a tutor who watched over the child as a strict disciplinarian who was responsible for the child until they came of age. So similarly, Paul is equating you guys, the law, as a guardian. He's, he's, he's saying the law is a tutor that teaches us our need to be saved from condemnation. So when you're in jail, if you will, you're confined, you're condemned, you're in jail. It's saying, get with a program. You need help. And think about how many people, when they were rock bottom, completely in sin, can't get out of it, they turn to the Lord. The encyclopedia of the Bible says, "Quote: Paul spoke of the law as a custodian. Its purpose in the economy of God was to prepare a people and thereby perfect his plan for the coming of Christ. It was necessary to place Upon them severe restrictions in order to develop their racial and cultural identity and to lay them under the moral discipline of the law. In addition, they needed to be instructed in the promises which pointed to Christ. The intent of the law went no farther than this. End quote. So that's a good way of acknowledging what Paul's saying as the the law being a custodian. So, finally, here in verse 25, but now that faith has come, we are, are no longer under a guardian. So, after providing those three reasons why the law cannot save mankind, again, whether you're Jew or Greek, Paul declares faith has come in Christ, and, and through Christ, we have been set free. So, that phrase, but now, which is, is so amazing because in the Medi- in Mediterranean culture, a boy, uh, you know, when they, when they turned 13 or 14, they were no longer in need of a tutor, a guardian, a custodian. And so what Paul was saying is that when when Christ came and we accepted him, we are no longer under the curse of the law. That's why he wrote, remember back in chapter 2, verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So because Christ lives in us, in Christ, Jews and Gentiles are no longer under the supervision of the law. So that's the proper way of us saying we don't abolish it. We don't disregard it. We're just saying we're no longer under the supervision of the law because of the freedom that we have in Christ. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. He says, we have outgrown him. That's the law. God has given us power now to go to Christ's school ourselves, willingly, joyfully, and cheerfully. I remember, and I dare say you also do, when that pedagogue whipped us very sorely. I'm glad that I'm no longer under his power. The pedagogue's work is done so far as we are concerned, end quote. So guys, I know that it could be a bit confusing in understanding the wording here that Paul uses here in Galatians 3, 19 through 25, but hopefully now you have a proper understanding of where we stand with the law as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're we're not to be of that camp that just completely disregards it and throws it out completely because God, who's the ultimate lawgiver, is the one who created laws in the first place. And they're good. But we saw here as Christians, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. And so we don't use it to say, as the Galatians were torn and confused with the Judaizers, well, you need Christ plus the law. The law condemns. And so, if you've broken the law, and you're trying to, and you think that you can say, "Well, let me fulfill more laws," and so that I can, ju- so I can not justify what I did previously, but know that I can restore myself. That's false. It doesn't work that way. It's only through Christ who fulfilled the law that we could be saved. So, thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the word of God.